Are you ready to take your screenwriting career to the next level? If you're a new or aspiring screenwriter who feels lost or stuck in your career, the Working Writer School is here to teach you what writing courses don't. Former student Dylan Evans said, There are a ton of writing classes out there, but this course helped me work through the stuff that I couldn't find anywhere else. I feel more prepared and more knowledgeable to take on the next phase of my writing career. Writer Nicole Bennett said, After taking this course, I have a clear framework for the mindset, productivity, networking, and financial management skills needed for longevity in this industry. And Jay Burlingham calls this course the map. This course has given me a map that I will return to again and again as I move forward in my career as a writer. Use code MMIH for 10% off from now until January 31st and go to theworkingwriter.com. That's theworking, W-E-R-K-I-N-G, writer.com to sign up today. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Brissell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on Tubi. Watch it on Tubi, people. Yay! I'm Liz Banishal. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, which is also on Tubi, but it but it's not a new thing, so I guess it's not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome writer and director Cecilia Miniucci on the show to talk about her latest feature, Life Upside Down, starring the amazing Bob Odenkirk, Danny Houston, and Rada Mitchell. She talks about how she got her amazing cast, how they shot the movie during the pandemic, and her overall philosophy of filmmaking in general. After that, we play another round of the game! But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm doing well. I feel like I'm, you know, just dealing with, like, I, I don't know the numbers for the alternate yet, but, like, I, I have a sense it's not going to be good. <laughs> like, I just don't, I just don't think it's going to be great. Well, because... Well, you haven't gotten one report yet? No reports no, at all? No, reports yet. No reports. Wait, when did you release? September. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're, okay. It's like the data is still being delivered. Yeah, that makes sense. He, he says like in two weeks or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's gonna be good because like, you know, I, I really don't know what the, the good gauge is, but like, you know, just basing off of, of IMDb likes, like, or reviews or whatever, or ratings, we don't have that many, you know, like 150 or something. So it's like, ah, uh, it's pretty good. It's good. But like, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'm not sure what the correlate, like what I should look for a correlation to like sales and, you know, like attention, you know, like, how do you know, like how many sales you're making? I mean, I've had plenty of people like email me and text me and, you know, whatever, tell me they've watched the movie and bought the movie and rented the movie or whatever. But it's like, I don't know. So I'm I'm I am very uh, cautious <laughs> going into these first numbers of what it'll be. But yeah, I think I'm just like sort of like okay, well, you know, the movie did what it did. It's cool, you know, like I mean, I could do more. I should be doing more promotion of it, but I'm only going to do as much as I can do, you know. But I think I'm just like sort of like coming to terms with like, yeah, that's what the movie was. That's great. People liked it. Got some good reviews. Okay, it's cool. You know, it didn't blow the doors off uh, my career in the way that I hoped it would. But, you know, again, you know. Well, you're attached to a feature project that you're not having to fundraise for. That's true. You've had other meetings. You're developing projects with other writers. I mean, and I also think, you know, Naomi and I, uh, Naomi McDougal Jones and I, a long time ago, 
we talk about her on the show a lot, but we did this survey of 104 filmmakers and we're going to have this piece published in Filmmaker Magazine in a few weeks, actually. Mm. And I say this all the time, but like no one is doing well. Like, you know, I think our expectations are really high and then we get very disappointed in distribution because distribution never reaches our expectations. Even if we do very well, it's never to the expectations that we have for ourselves or the standards we have for ourselves. And I think it's the story you tell. So like, I get that you're very honest and very, you know, like humble on the podcast, but like publicly outside of the podcast, you don't have to say, gosh, I wish we did better, right? <laughs> like right. the story you tell is like, the film is a success. The film is a success. I right mean, now. it is a success no matter what, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it won all these awards and it did well. It's got great reviews. We're fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Like there's all these really great things that it did. But it's like when it just comes down to the money, right? It's like that's yeah. what I'm I'm sort of focusing in on, you know, is like do like will I be able to pay back like any amount to my investors, you know? And so yeah. that's yeah. that's the concern. But I guess I I don't know, right? So I'm just kind of guessing and I'm negatively projecting like what I think is going to happen, but like I I really don't have any idea. So we'll see. And maybe okay. over 5 6 years maybe I will be able to pay some back, you know? So I think there's that is is hopeful too. It's just, you know, it's. I, I think you, you always want it to be like this big thing where you get that deal or you get this, you know, like you get on a streamer, you get on this, you get on that, you get a cable deal or whatever. And we didn't get any of those things. And, you know, I think like that's very normal because we didn't have stars yeah. or anything. So it's totally acceptable. But yeah, I feel like, you know, just sort of acknowledging like the movie's done done what it's gonna do you know for the most part and letting you go know, a little bit and just and just being proud of it you know being i mean like you know we once won all these awards i had lots of great experiences with it i've had like lots of people say lots of nice things so i feel yeah. like in the end it's like yeah it did good stuff you know i was compared to oscar nominated everything everywhere all at once multiple times in reviews so like i feel Aww. like that is pretty neat just to like have people be like thinking of my movie in the same sphere as like a big awesome movie like that you know so yeah, yeah no i am overly positive about it and i mean i, I get like the whole projecting and like you know like here's the story you tell and everything but it's also just like you know there's also a reality financially that I think like, you know, being on the show, it's like, it's my duty to be open about, you know? Yeah. Oh, it sucks. It sucks for so, indie filmmakers. You're one yeah. of every single other indie filmmaker who is not a millionaire from their indie feature. Right. <laughs> it's a very, very stark reality for all of us, but we keep doing it. Yeah. And I get it. And I've come to a lot in similar ways with my projects. I, I do like, it's also unfair for myself too, because I've, I'm, I'm putting like too much weight on this project. Cause I'm like, if it, if it gets made and I get to direct this movie then it's like, Oh, well, it would be like dreams come true above and beyond everything like incredible like like basically if i get to make another movie it's like it was a massive success because i got to make another one you know yeah. but like if i get paid to make another one then it's just like well you struck the gold mine you know you've you've you know that's there's no more you could possibly ask for out of this experience right so I think like I'm really excited and hopeful that that happens. But again, I'm also not like deluding myself. Like there's a good chance this isn't going to work out, you know, so we'll just we'll just see. But it's exciting to be in the game and in the mix anyways. The other thing I haven't talked about on the show at all that I wanted to talk about, which is not movie related, is I started learning piano 
recently. Ooh. Yeah. I got an app and I got a keyboard, which I got for Christmas with like little bonus I got for my work. You know, I got it because I wanted to like, you know, have something to do with BB and like when she's a little older, like maybe get her excited about playing keyboard. So I thought like, oh, I'll teach myself. And then as she's older, gets older, I'll be able to teach her and like we can learn together and like it'll be like a thing that we do as a, you know, father daughter thing. But now I'm just like addicted to it. Like I play every day. (laughs) Like, you know, at least a half hour, if not an hour, either I try to do it like in the middle of the day while she's napping or at night before I go to bed. And yeah, I'm like blowing through this app. I'm like on past the intermediate lesson and like I'm doing chord styling now. I just finished chord styling. I'm doing like the level two chord styling or something. It's like, it's pretty cool. Played all kinds of things. Game of Thrones theme. The Godfather theme, I've done. I'm into the movie themes, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I, I played, what was it? Yeah, Katy Perry Firework, which is like <laughs> crazy hard, <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah, so it's, it's, been, a, it's been a cool thing. And I, 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 you know, I sit and I play and I'm like, man, you should be writing right now. I'm like, why aren't you like writing a script? But it's like, you know, maybe what I'm hoping will happen is that I can like, you know, Instead of playing an hour and a half of piano every day, maybe I play a half hour of piano and then that other hour that I was playing piano, maybe that becomes an hour where I start to to write my screenplay, you know? Well, so yeah, I'm you're like, engaging creatively. It's good for, it's going to contribute to your writing and yourself as a creative individual. I hope so. I, I hope that like this whole, because I'm also doing time blocking at work for tasks is a new thing that I like, I've heard about time blocking. I've known about time yeah. blocking forever and I've used it before, like in writing and stuff. But like now I'm trying to do it like, you know, for everyday things. So I'm, I'm going to start like, OK, it'll be like, OK, at two o'clock or whatever, it'll be that's like my half hour of piano. And then, you know, we're going to bed earlier as a family now because Good. You know, it's just like a thing that we're doing. But like 10 o'clock is like, you know, best new bedtime. So it's like, OK, at 10 o'clock. Like I can't go to bed at 10. That's too early for me, but I can go to bed at 11. <laughs> So like from 10 to 11, that'll be like, that's right now piano time, but that, that I'm going to make of that time be writing time soon. I think that's like my new goal is to turn that hour before bed into my new writing zone. So mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. something I'm working on. I, I think I'm still too into the piano to give it up at, at from 10 to 11 at the moment. But uh, I think soon enough, I'll transition in like my hour and a half of piano, sometimes two hours, is going to go down to, uh, yeah, like cut that in half and then the rest of it uh, will go to, to writing. We'll see. It's we'll really see. So cool that's, that you like something that much, right? Like that's worth writing home about. That's amazing. I'm addicted to it. It's like, it's like, take, <laughs> like I was playing video games on the weekend you know, like, and then playing piano. And now I don't play video games anymore. I just play the piano because it's like, you're like an advertisement for like, (laughs) for piano, for this keyboard program, for the app, (laughs) for a healthy living. I don't even know. Simply piano people. It's worth it. If you want to learn, if you want to learn piano, no more piano. No, no. it's fun. Did you play piano? I played piano for like nine years. I played piano for a long time. Yeah. I played almost every instrument very poorly every single time and i've i played steel string guitar nylon string like classical guitar i played violin i played piano i did singing lessons i did recorder i did bells i'm trying to think of what else i did i did dance class and always just mediocre always (laughs) just like a mediocre never and my hands are really small so like that was a fun little thing to to deal with (laughs) 
<laughs> what I'm doing, which I think is really, I haven't talked about it on the podcast, is I am taking improv classes. Uh-huh. And I have taken two so far. And I have my third one on Friday. And I always get very, very nervous. But I always leave really satisfied. Like, it's almost like you're like, oh, I got to get out of the house. I got to exercise. I got to do this thing that's good for me. And then you feel so good when you're done. That's like what improv is for me. It's like, I feel very accomplished. And I understand why people want to be actors because they're so nice to each other. Like, I'm very confused. (laughs) Like, I go into the room. They're like, how are you? How you doing? What you up to? Like, there's this warmth that they talk to each other with and they like want to engage emotionally, which is very uncomfortable, but I'm I'm trying it. And and they always tell you you did a good job. They're always like, great effort. Good job. I love this thing you did. Like, I I get it. It's like a nice ego boost (laughs) and i like that part of it and i and improv is a lot of rules so i it's harder than i expected but it the whole point of doing improv is because i wanted to put myself in the hot seat and feel more vulnerable about what it's like to be an actor so i could be a better director and boy is it a vulnerable situation to be in an improv game you like you have to think on your toes it's very scary anything can come out of your mouth and i think it is going to make me a better director so for those following the the travails of liz and acting classes i think i found the one and it's ucb it's ucb improv everybody take it it's really fun so what what's what are some of the scenarios that you've found yourself in that you've had to react to so far in your classes? Well, we tried different skills. So like last week we tried giving each other a gift. So giving a gift is like you have to tell someone about themselves in the scene so they know how to react. So if I go, oh, Ulrich, you're so generous. Thank you so much for the cake you gave me yesterday. Then you know in your next line you have to do something that's generous. That's your character for the scene. So like that's the scenario is like trying to think of a gift and then having to enact that gift you are given. Other things mm. are, I think what's really difficult for me is like improv is very expositional. It's, there's no grace to it at all. It's like, gosh, I love being at this grocery store at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's the opening line of every scene <laughs> is like you have to give the scenario, the who, what, where. And I find that really tacky because as a writer, you and I are like, how do you show, not tell? How do you (laughs) set up like a mise-en-scene? And they're like, no, 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 you just have to say it. And I think that's the hardest thing I'm grappling with. But I'm really glad I signed up for this. It's very scary, but I'm very glad. Yeah, Awesome. But don't forget. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But don't forget to support us on Patreon. To all of you out there, patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. We want to give a big happy birthday. Is this new? Is this Chris Scott new? No, No. I don't think so. We we thanked Chris Scott last week. Thank you, Chris Scott, again. (laughs) I don't even know when that was from. (laughs) From five years ago. Chris Scott, you get triple thanks. Patreon is how we keep the show alive. Also, don't forget to check out Jambox.io, one of our wonderful sponsors. They are a royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. They offer customized plans to fit your needs. Check them out. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Cecilia Minucci. Thank you. 
can you give us a short elevator pitch just to bring us into the ultimate context for the film for our audience? For Life Upside Down? Yes. Absolutely. It came about at the very, very beginning of lockdown. Thought, how can we rescue ourselves from a terrible depression (laughs) and lack of creativity, boredom, insanity, fear, doubt. And so I thought, oh, let's make a movie. (laughs) That's all I know how to do. And so I came up with this idea and I ran it by these wonderful actors. And they were so kind to take a leap of faith and join me into in, in this crazy experiment. and But here we are. We did it. So that's how it came about. So many questions. How many days did you shoot the movie? The actual shoot was about four weeks. What can you talk about with regard to the budget or the resources you had as a director? We had zero resources. It was basically, <laughs> yes, no resources. All we had was this device that one of my producers, Carl Berg, put together, physically built himself, where we had microphones, iPads and iPhones, and we would, you know, physically take to these actors' homes to, to shoot, and I would be directing them through my computers back here at home, this very place that you guys see. And then my other producer, Jeffrey Coulter, came up with the idea of doing, shooting a how-to-make-the-movie kind of video that we would show the actors. And so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's how the limits and the beauty of it at the same time. And you can't give us a number, like a rough range of what the budget was besides like was, no money. It was under 500,000. Oh. Okay. Wow. Thank you for that specificity. We appreciate yeah, I that. I think, I think, but again, it's the wrong question to ask me and I might have given you the wrong answer. So <laughs> take it. It's more the producer, producers should. Can you talk a little bit about the origin of the idea for the, for the film? Okay, so the idea was a little bit dictated by the circumstances. Uh, the film is about disruption and how, it, yeah, it was because of the pandemic at the time, but it could have been anything else. It could have been a tornado, an earthquake, anything that comes about disrupts our lives. And so having that in mind and having also the isolation element in mind, I thought about talking about, you know, people stuck in their place, whether they're alone and they would like to be with somebody else or whether they're forced to be with somebody that they don't particularly enjoy being with anymore or somebody they absolutely love to be all the time, all the time, and they don't even know who this person really is. So this this is what this is how the story started to come about. And it's basically about relationships and human condition and how we relate to one another, the ones that we want to be with, the ones that we don't want to be with, and ourselves, you know, and what we discover. How long did you spend working on the film from coming up with the idea, you know, to it being released? <laughs> well, okay. So the idea came out, came about middle of April, end of April. I, sh- I wrote the script in a couple of weeks in May. We started rehearsing and talking with the actors toward the end of May, the last week of May. And then we start shooting the beginning of June through the beginning of July. Then there was a moment where I called the editor, my editor, my main editor, Anne Gurso, and who cut also other work I've done before, brilliant Anne. And Anne said, well, give me some time to also, you know, import all this material and organize it and blah, 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 and do a, you know, an assembly for you. So 
It was only in September that I then started, you know, cutting, editing the film, unfortunately, followed by the unexpected death of my mother. And that took a couple of months away from my life. And from this work, I couldn't really do much. And then we started again. And so in January, we started again and we worked until last August, nonstop, cutting and doing all the special effects. There were a lot of special effects and everything was done remotely. Uh, You know, I was working with Australia, with the Netherlands, Holland, with France, with England and with Italy. So (laughs) anyway, thank God for Zoom. And then we got into the film festival in Venice. So we had to stop and do, you know, get ready for that. And then after, soon after that, this other brilliant producer, Rose Quo, managed to sell the picture. I mean, we we got some interest and she made this deal and we sold the film and we had to deliver the film. So we had to rush, rush, rush. So now it's done and it's coming out on January 27th in multiple cities in the States. And thank you, IFC. Thank you, AMC. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Unexpected, totally, from an experiment to have, you know, a U.S. distribution. I'm going to skip. We usually do these, you know, these six questions. I'm going to skip our last question because I I looked, you know, we're doing some research. We're looking you up and incredibly impressive background and career. I'm curious because you've worked in both the Italian cinema industry and Hollywood. Yes, yes. It, it may be a tough question to jump into on a podcast interview. Which system do you prefer to work in? Or do, is there, do you have a preference between the well, two? You know, I came to America while and after I was working with different Italian film directors, such as Lina Vermuller, Federico Fellini, the Taviani brothers, and so forth and so on. And I came to go to school here. And then from that school, I went to the American Film Institute. And through that, I ended up at the Zotrop Studios working closely with Fred Roos, great legendary producer, though that happens to be also, you know, a producer in my films. And I stayed here. So that, that, <laughs> that says it all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also how life came about. One thing led to another. And Italy, I never made a film in Italy, ever. And actually, just before COVID, I was about to make my first film in Italy. I tried to make a film some year, a few years ago in Italy, and I got it almost to, to shooting when the producers found out that they didn't own, they didn't clear the rights of the story. So we had to, <laughs> we had to leave. But, but I never really worked myself directing a picture in Italy. I would like to do it or in Europe, in any place in Europe. I would like to do it and I look forward to doing it. I only know the system in Europe working as non a director, but as a assistant to a director or an, an assistant director. So here instead, I is where I directed everything here. So I know the system from a very, you know, direct way. And it's the best place in the world to work in, I find, and I love it. And I am also American, so I feel this is my other home and I defend it with all my might. 
And uh, I love the way things work. And uh, even if it's hard, it's extremely hard to make a movie here, even harder in a way, because they are they have more government participation and more. But but you need to be part of the club. It's more corrupt. You need to know people. Here, there is more meritocracy. And it's a, so you have different, in my case, different obstacles, because I'm not American and I'm a woman. I had to fight more because of that. But the system itself, the way you work, is wonderful and of course there are honest people everywhere and dishonest people everywhere and the craftsmanship in Italy in France it's amazing the costumes the special effects the hair makeup I mean it's so the the the, the set designing is really you know the the craftsmen there and the artists are really something the, the directors of photography you know you know the American directors work with them all the time so I wanted to hear about this thing that you mentioned in the very beginning of our conversation, you said that you're really grateful to the wonderful actors for coming with you on this journey and agreeing to be a part of the project. But how, how did you get this cast? This cast is incredible. Did you have personal connections? Did you reach out to their agents? Like, how did you make it happen? No, no, no agents. And they probably hate me for it. But no, this was talent to talent, creative people to creative people, nobody in between us. And was the most refreshing and beautiful experience in filmmaking ever in that respect. Because in a way, that's how it should be, you know, minds, uh, creative minds that think alike. And, and so I knew Bob somewhat. A little bit because I had chosen him to be the lead of a movie I was making some years ago. And this was pre-fame and, you know, and awards and all that. And I really believed in him and I loved the way he was as a person, as a talent, as an artist. And I always thought I want to work with this guy. Then, of course, life took different turns for all of us. And when I had this opportunity, I just called him out of the blue. I said, Bob, would you be interested? And he said, cool, I'm game. I'm in. I'm in. He said, cool, I'm in. I thought, oh my God, this is fantastic. This is so great. I never for once ever thought, oh, you know, I got Bob is famous now. Never. I think Bob was just this great talent the way I knew him years ago. And here we were trying to do something together. And then Radha, you know, Radha Mitchell, she's wonderful too. And she and I, and also Danny Houston, were talking about doing something that would take place actually in Italy, in Rome, a film called Rome by Night mm -hmm. that we almost made before COVID and, and I hope I get to make still. And so I called them up and I said, hey, you know, would you be willing to? And, and Danny had his wife, who's English, was also here, locked in with him. And Rosie Fellner, the lovely Rosie, talented Rosie Fellner. And so all of us embarked in, in, this, in this adventure together, taking a risk experimenting and hoping that it would turn out to be something not to be ashamed of at least first well you do so much like i was on your website i you know you write you also publish other people's writings you you know you develop tv projects you have these features and i know th and obviously the the very prolific career in music videos i can't believe you did the bitty bitty bum bum music video that is so cool 
I did, I did that right there, over there, uh, on the pier, right there. I can see the pier. So cool. This is like the best <laughs> ever. I guess I'm curious if you have a priority for your career as an artist. Like, it, what is feature the feature projects the priority? Are they the priority? Does it is it just about what inspires you? Like, are you strat- strategic about you picking different projects, or is it about what fulfills you creatively? I never been strategic to my own malaise, to my own uh, how do you say uh, ruin. <laughs> <laughs> to my own ruin I always gone when my heart has told me to go and I never been calculative but maybe I should become so maybe now at this tender age maybe I should but I think film I don't know why maybe that's because it's mostly my background but when I when a story comes to mind or a character knocks on the door I always immediately think film in terms of a format but trying to be more clever and probably more with the times, I do think television as well, scripted television. However, I've also been involved in a non-scripted television. I already shot four episodes of it, of that with great, great actors, uh, Jack Black, John Lithgow, Catherine Hahn, Josh Holloway. So that's in the making. For sure, I would like to try. I would like to try, you know, television, like maybe a, a so-called mini-series kind of thing and with great characters you know however I'm, I'm working on a script for a film <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about your approach to working with actors because you've obviously worked with some of the, the best talent out there you know you're just dropping some other names that you might be working with so how do you approach that whole process I in an honest way I that's it in an honest way I mean I just believe in their talent I present what I I think, you know, that character could be. And then I give them quite a bit of freedom to be themselves or to be themselves within the container that I give them. And I am pretty firm at times, but I also like to give them some space to improvise. And in terms of actually technically shooting, normally, I mean, not always in this particular film because of the conditions we were in, we were in but normally I like to, you know, shoot with a steady cam to respect also their the move their capacity of moving about and expressing themselves also through their bodies and the, the way they, they go about the scene. So on one hand I like to keep uh, you know close to the script and have them just elevate basically what I give them, you know, to take it to the next level. And to do that you have to be honest about what you give them and you have to be respectful of their talent and their and give them some freedom. Otherwise you might as well do it yourself. <laughs> it's no point. That's the point is to bring in some creative minds and talent to elevate you. Elevate you, meaning you, the, the screenplay at first and the, the film later, you know? Other than financing, is there a part of directing or the filmmaking process that you see as more challenging than other parts? I mean, like, for example, I find all of filmmaking incredibly intimidating, but I'm just curious, is it all easy for you now? Or is it is a part of it that you don't look forward to or, or does it intimidate to any degree? 
I no, I don't get intimidated at, at all. I'm sorry, and this and this is not arrogance. It's just honestly the way I feel. I don't feel intimidated when I'm in front of a you know a blank page to write a screenplay. I don't feel intimidated when you know I am on the set. I, I don't. I don't feel intimidated. I just love it, and I feel totally at ease. I feel exactly I am where I'm supposed to be. But what I don't like is the weight between writing something and possibly making it. And that part where you have to look for money, you have to fight the agents, you have to, that to me is a killer. It just kills every enthusiasm and and hope and dream. It's just horrific. And not necessarily produces better films. So if I could just jump from the page into the set, I would really, really like to do it. And I've been lucky. I've been able to do that two, three times already. So, but not other times. Really quick, like you talked about like staring at the blank page and not feeling intimidated. That's probably the time I feel almost the most intimidated is when I can't, I can't get an idea out or I like look at the page and I don't know what to write. So like, what do you do in those situations? Like, how do you get through that process, that part? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that in my case, I don't know. My, I never sit in front of a page, a blank page, without knowing what I'm going to do. For some reason, I think it over and I think it over and it takes some shape within my head. When I'm sitting down, often enough, I don't even write notes or a, or a synopsis or, or a log line or log, what is it called? The, 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 yeah. Outline. An outline. Yeah. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> I don't even write those. I just sit down and I start writing because I already kind of worked it out in my head where is where it is. So the first draft is not something you want to show anybody in my case. And sometimes in the process, I do get stuck, you know, oops, you know, what am I going to go, you know, where am I going <laughs> to go with this? But, you know, I learned one thing and I'm sure this is not a very original thing thought. I'm sure everybody thinks of this, but you let the screenplay tell you what to do. You let the characters tell you what to write because they, you given life, it's almost like a kid, you know, you you have this kid has a life of its own at a certain point and you have to observe and, and respect that and listen and, and follow and try to imagine what this creature will do and be. And it's the same in a way. In a screenplay, you have these characters and you form them and you shape them and they're not there yet. And they tell you what to say, what to do. And if you put in the mouth something else that you want them to say, but it's not appropriate to who they are or what you created, you will find out that it's not right. And so I let that thing guide me. Okay, now I, I've done, you know, I, I, I've thrown out the, the, the clay, uh, you know, let's see how to model it, form it, you know, give it shape. You just dispense a lot of really good advice right there. Do you, do you have any other great advice that you've benefited from or have received or dispensed? Be honest, just be honest and be yourself. That's my greatest and best advice I can give to any creative person because there is only one of you. And if you are honest and you are who you are and you write about who you believe, what you believe in and about who you know best and, and you're truthful to yourself, it 
it's going to be unique because there's only original automatically because there's only one of you in on this planet and, and never again and never before and so stay truth true to yourself and believe in yourself somewhat if you can you know artists are by definition insecure people i remember francis ford coppola hugged me one time and said you can't be an artist and feel safe darling you know something like that <laughs> and I, I, I learned it later <laughs> through hard times but that's that's really you know believe believe in what you do and and it may not always be a masterpiece and in fact hardly ever is a masterpiece but it's still something that you are called to do and you live for doing and you are meant to be doing and do it the best you can and in the most honest way because people will respond to that i think the honesty the truth wow amazing well we, we have a few like of these quick rapid fire questions we do at the end of the interview we don't have time for all of them i don't think but i want to just see if, how many we can get out before we're cut off so here's the first one What's the best filmmaking advice well, that you've ever received? We kind of just covered that one. I think we should okay. do worst advice. Fine. Next. Okay. Worst. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? Copy other filmmakers. <laughs> Even if you admire them, be yourself. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker, like a certain landmark you want to achieve or anything? An Oscar. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> just just reach as many people as possible, trying to uh, contribute to a better world by not using violence, by not exploiting female beauty. Yeah. And uh, last question, is making movies hard? It is. It is. Overall, it is. It's a challenge, no doubt. It's it's a tough it's a tough job, but it's a beautiful job. I would, in fact, Antonioni, Michelangelo Antonioni, used to say, "If you hate somebody, don't wish them to make bad movies. Don't wish them to die. Don't wish them to get sick. Don't just wish them not to be able to work as a filmmaker." And that's <laughs> really true because <laughs> the, as hard as it is it's 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 fantastic to make movies and i don't know what it's a disease you have like i think it was frank cabra used to say it's a disease you know that you can only cure by making more movies <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing do you i know you, you already called out the theatrical dates is there any other call to action that you want to send our audience to do to support you in any way? Yes, just stay tuned. And in April, there's going to be another release, like a larger thing, VOD release. Please tell your friends to go to these theaters to support these small indies because, you know, the whole thing is kind of like... <laughs> So we need to, we need to really, I still believe in making movies and I still believe in the theatrical experience and let's support it as much as we, we can, especially also because we need to support the people that give us the opportunity, like IFC should be supported. You know, one of the few organizations that still embraces independent filmmakers and still believes in putting out films in theaters. God bless you, IFC. <laughs> <laughs> And, and just so everyone knows, when Cecilia said the indie film, she did the flying ship down into the depths like failure thing. So just so people know, there's some context there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, thank you <laughs> thank so you. much. This has been wonderful. <laughs> of course. You guys are great. And thank you for having me. And best of luck with you. Go out there and make movies. Come on. 
Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show! Arik, what do you remember about our chat with Cecilia? Oh, my God. that I, I, I had so many questions for her, and we only had a short amount of time. And I, I really wanted to, like, make sure that every question I asked was, like, a great question that she could really give a good answer to. And I feel like most of the time, like, she just came up with the best things to say to anything that we asked. It was yeah. it was great. And, and to the point where I think your last question was, like, you just gave all our, you just gave, gave like the best advice in your last answer. Like, do you have any other great advice? And then she just gave the best advice ever. It was, it was incredible. I was like, wow, you are just a fountain of like filmmaking knowledge and encouragement. My God. Yeah. I don't know. She was just amazing. And I mean, I feel like, like the whole story she told about like how she got Bob Odenkirk and Danny Houston and Rada Mitchell to get on the show, like or, or get in, into you know her movie. Like, there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as a total cynic and being like, yeah, like you just have to know these people in order to like actually make your movie. Like, oh, I don't know famous people. Like, I can't do it. Or you can look at it as like the total optimist and be like, oh. If you make movies long enough and you keep on making movies, you're going to know people who are famous one day. Like they may not be famous when you meet them, but like if you're in the game and you're like going out there and like getting actors and blah, 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 like you're going to make connections, which like in 20 years (laughs) or something, like they're going to pay off. Right. So like I just it was actually I took it as a very like positive thing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you just need to keep doing your craft and and do it well and you know you'll have opportunities are going to come one day they're going to come things are going to line up eventually you know but what about you what did you remember from the conversation no i was just thinking back and it's like i know i talk about this a lot but like her unabashed confidence is so beautiful like her just saying like i remember just asking like because i get intimidated by every aspect of filmmaking and i was like trying to see if there was what is it called like a clink in her armor like i was like is there something that that kind of like overwhelms her at all and she was just like no i love it all i'm good at it all and it wasn't sometimes that could be really abrasive to me right if someone's really confident and snuff stiffy about snuffy about it I don't know what the word is but just kind of like stuck up or whatever but it was like yeah she is wonderful and she deserves every accolade and she's proven herself with her career and I just found that very magnetic like her whole personality and her confidence and it kind of reminded me of like I'm trying to think it's like Amber Seeley Talia Lagasse like other filmmakers we've had on the show who are like I'm really good at this you know like I'm really good at this I like hearing artists who have faith in themselves. That's what I got out of Cecilia. Nice. Yeah, it does feel like there is confidence. It's like confidence is a through line through all, like a lot of the directors that we talk to. And it's like not necessarily, it doesn't always come out in the same way. Like sometimes it's confidence and like, I am great or I'm really good at this. So I I knew it was going to work. Or sometimes it comes out in ways where they just go for things and they just make these decisions and just take these leaps you know, and they don't yeah. don't worry about it. So it's it's funny, like how confidence is a key 
that res- that presents itself in different ways, you know, in different people. So very interesting. What is also extremely interesting and very, very exciting, as always, is this week's round of The Game. So for those of you who don't know, The Game is something that Eric Toms, our producer, came up with, which is really, really beautiful. It's basically like a challenge, like a filmmaking, indie filmmaking challenge, where every week we have a question that is asked either by me to Liz or by Liz to me of like this, this, this challenge, this, this quandary, this situation that you're in while you're making a movie and like, you know, we're tasked to figure out a way to solve it. Basically, and so I've got the, this question for this week for Liz to solve. I have not read this. Liz has not heard this yet. So this is going to be fresh, fresh, fresh off the press. So here we go. Your first indie film was released and was a critical and financial success. Wow. All right. Already in fantasy dreamland. This is great. It's so <laughs> successful that an up and coming star wants to work on your second film. However, the film falls apart and you have to take on other jobs to continue working. Okay. A few years later, you're attached to another feature and the main actor would be perfect for the same up and coming star. The main character would be perfect for the same up and coming star. Although you two haven't spoken for a long time, you've left on good terms. To try to get the star's attention regarding this project, do you dig up their information and reach out directly? Reach out to the star's new representation whom you have no relationship with and present the project Forget them altogether and reach out to other actors or D other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Is this is this a trick? Is this another trick? I'm like, because this feels easy, right? It's like someone that you like working with who wants to work with you, who is a powerful, famous actor who you once were in contact with, right? Yeah. It is good for the next project. I mean, I guess the question is digging up their contact information. Do you not have it? Do you not have the contact information from the first I mean, project? I'm assuming that you probably have the phone number, right? But I mean, maybe we have to assume that we don't have the number. And so that you're, you're basically trying to get their number through other sources, you know? Well, you always have to involve the reps. You always have to involve the reps. But if you have their email address, what you do is you kind of float the idea to them first and then you two together incorporate the reps in the way that's the best way possible. But I would go direct first if I had a relationship with them and then loop in the reps right afterwards or loop in the reps if I can't get in contact with them directly. But this seems like making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm like, this seems like a very minor question. I don't see the problem with it. What's what? what do you, how would you answer? Am I not? Did I not hear it right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the que- I think the question lies in is like, is it is it like awkward or weird to like approach if the project this person. Falls apart? No, that's not but weird like at all. Three years later, like you haven't talked to them. Like, three like years here's, nothing. here's a real example in my life. So I have Val Kilmer's number <laughs> in my <gasps> phone um, yes. because I, you know, worked with him on this movie like 12 years ago. Would it be weird if I called Val Kilmer to ask him to be in a project? Yes. yes. Yeah. Because be you didn't direct that project 12 years ago. Unless right. you did. Did you direct it 12 years ago? Unless my name's Francis Ford Coppola, the answer is no. <laughs> so, okay. But if you were But we were producing- like, I mean, you know, I had to call him and whatever. And, you know, he no, called me still. and stuff. No, still, I'm with not, you. Not, you not, not acceptable, right? Yeah, yeah not exactly. acceptable. But if you were a, one of the lead producers 
or the director, you're fine. You're fine. You, you're can, fine. you can call them up, you know? <laughs> but if you're not, no, you have to play the game and you have to go through their reps first. But if they specifically wanted to work with you, you were the draw of the original project that fell apart, that you have that you have that cachet. You could do it, I think. And you could call them directly. Yeah. I think if you have the, if you've already texted with them before in, yeah. in regards to a project that you would direct and then it just didn't work out and you left on good terms, of course you just text them or call yeah. them or email them or whatever. If you, for some reason, didn't have their direct contact information for some weird, strange reason, I still think you try to go to them directly however you can, you know, because... That's just going to be a stronger way in. Like if you if you go to the agent or manager first, like you're going to have to play those games. But if like you already have the relationship, like I would go through the relationship and then, like you said, bring the agents and managers in later. You know, yeah. or do like Cecilia it's about patience. And, and and not bring them in at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But it's about patience. Like, I think if I didn't have their contact information, I probably would be too lazy to try to find someone who knew someone who knew someone who could get me there. I probably would just contact the manager because I could easily get that information on IMDb Pro. Yeah, but you could tweet them or you could Instagram. You know, you could, there's no, lots of different ways. No one. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't tweet at an actor that you've worked with before like, hey, blah, blah, blah. You're a Twitter person. Would, Isn't that what Twitter is You and I for? are like... Maybe six months apart in age. And I think that six months apart is vital to like the DM world of social media. Like I've never really like I don't DM people like I don't I've tweeted at people, but not in a way that would make me look vulnerable. Like I need you. <laughs> Please talk to me. I'm like, I need to get in contact with. I don't think I, I do that. Maybe I do and I don't realize it. But I don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do with age. I think that's a thing to do with personality. No, the DM <laughs> thing, the DM thing, I think is age because it's like maybe you don't, but I feel like there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, just DM me, and I'm like, no, email me. Like, <laughs> no, I don't want to DM you. What's that? Yeah, I think that's more like a Twitter thing where you just like, you know, it's I don't know, Twitter people DM people. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not like a Twitter person. Oh, I'm thinking of Instagram. Have... I'm thinking of like Instagram oh. culture where they're like, just hit up my DMs. Yeah. Do you know, is that is that age difference between us? That's not okay. So that's you're, you don't, don't do DMs. I either. don't know. I mean, I guess I don't even know. Then can you DM people in Instagram? I, I guess you I can. Really, oh yeah, if you they can. have their DMs open, if they have the DMs right. open, you can. And then with Twitter, a lot less people have their like inboxes open or whatever. I because I do mm. try to get in contact because I do the distributor report cards with the film collaborative. So I'm constantly looking for ways to get in touch with filmmakers. Mm. And like a lot of them don't have their their messages available on Twitter. But I wouldn't tweet at them publicly and be like, hey, mm. Mm. hit me up. I would rather cool just email did. them. I thought the cool the, the kids, cool just, kids tweet, just tweeted at eight people. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was thinking. I thought the age thing might be the cool kid oh, difference. Oh, I see. But I thought that was, no. I didn't think it had to do with age. I just thought it had to do with like Twitter fluency, no. you know? Like, no. I thought that was good Twitter. Maybe. <laughs> All I know is I would just be like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to contact the manager. Like, I just wouldn't go through that. That's so that. funny. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, we're yeah, in agreement, pretty much. We're pretty much agreement. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I would 
do whatever I could to go. Cause I feel like the, it's like the personal relationship is like what it's like, that's what drives this industry is like personal relationships. It seems like the more that you know, people like yeah. the better you're going to have a chance of getting anything done. So I, I would just lean into that, you know? And if, if you didn't have a relationship with the manager or the agent, it's like, I don't know. But I guess on the other hand, if, if you're like <laughs> this kind of director who's got right. stars approaching you, then you probably shouldn't have a problem going to yeah. the agent. Cause they'll be like, Oh yeah, Liz Manichelle, of course. Sure. We'll That's make the why offer I no think problem. You contact the manager. You go like, I won Sundance five years ago. Hey, you know, can I, I get I'm in gonna, touch I'll, with you? I'm going to give a little grief to, to Eric right now. I never do this, but like, <laughs> I feel like making the, the person in this question have this kind of success, I think makes the question too easy to answer. That's what I'm like, saying. I thought that was a catch. Success, too easy. Too easy. Y- you can't have success because if you have success in critical acclaim and financial whatever, it's like you don't have so many problems anymore. Like you could just do shit. Like if if we had that yeah. kind of backing on any of our previous films, like we would not have any of the problems that we're dealing with now. But I don't know. No, we Maybe just need people, that. We need that one movie. Yeah, I don't know. But people talk. You know, reach out if you've had critical and financial success on your first feature and you're still having issues. I'd love to hear about it. But I don't think that person exists. <laughs> I think that person is a made-up person. Anyways, if you want to suggest a question for the game or scenario, or you just want to ask us a question about anything else, or you want to comment on what we said, or you think we're wrong about all the things that we say on the show, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. I still think that the 2023 spot is open for first 2023 reviews. You know, people, (laughs) get it while you can. And finally, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. You make sure to check out the International Riot Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, and contests. So be sure to head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Cecilia Minucci for coming on the show. Thanks to Caitlin Flanagan from Falco Inc. for setting this all up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for just being awesome. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. About the origin of the idea for the for the film. Oh, sorry, Auric. It was Auric's question. I stole his question. <laughs> what, 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 what would you like me to say? Two one. Yeah. Do, question? My question. My question. Women first, right? Ladies yeah. first. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.